The following sermon was preached at Liberty Baptist Church. We exist to showcase the glory of God by being and making disciples of Jesus. To learn more about us, please visit our website at lbcliberty.org. If you have your Bible, if you would turn to Luke 24, the Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter and verse 44. It's an honor to be here this morning. I'm grateful to your pastors for the opportunity to preach God's word to, to, to God's people this morning. Luke 24, verse 44. This is Jesus speaking. He told them, he's talking to his disciples, he's risen from the dead, and Luke 24, he appears to his disciples and he says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in this city until you are empowered from on high. Let me pray for us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to look at your word. We thank you for scripture. It is the inspired and inerrant word of God, and we're grateful for the opportunity to hear it this morning. Pray that you would be with me as I proclaim your word, pray that your spirit would convict and open eyes and open minds to see the beauty and the glory of Christ in all of scripture. We love you and ask these things in his name. Amen. I'm not sure if you've ever had this experience, but I'm going to ask the question anyways. Has anyone in here ever read a book and completely missed what the book was about? You ever read a book and got done and you're like, I'm not exactly sure what that was about. I remember being assigned classic literary works in high school. We had to read The Grapes of Wrath uh, by, by uh, Steinbeck. We had to read uh, The Great Gatsby by Fitzgerald. I remember them assigning this book called Animal Farm. And I thought it was a funny story about animals and humans fighting. And come to find out, my teacher tells me it's a satire addressing Russian communism. Had no idea. Uh, and so I uh, learned something there, read the book, no idea what it was about. Maybe, maybe you're not a reader, but maybe you've watched a movie and you got to the end of the movie and you thought, I have no idea what that was about. I remember going into the movie theaters to watch Napoleon Dynamite for the first time. And I walked out of the movie theaters and had no idea what just happened. Uh, had no idea what the movie was about. And if I'm honest, I still have no idea what the movie's about. But, but most of us have had that experience. We've read something. We've seen something. And on the back end, we realize, man, I, I completely missed that. Well, I believe it's possible for us to read the Bible in such a way that we miss the main point of Scripture, that we miss what the Bible is about, and it's actually about Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49, Jesus appears to all of his disciples, and he explains to them that everything that's taken place up to this point in Luke's gospel has taken place according to the Scriptures, that it was necessary for these things to happen because the Old Testament pointed to a Messiah who would suffer and die. And yet, the disciples had missed it. Matter of fact, the religious leaders missed it. Jesus rebuked them in John's gospel, and he said, You search the scriptures, in them 
you think you have life, and they, the scriptures, testify of me. So Jesus tells the religious leaders, you've, you've read the Bible, you think you have a life in the Old Testament scriptures, and you've missed the fact that the Old Testament scriptures are actually testifying of me. And the religious leaders weren't alone. The disciples struggled four times in Luke's gospel. Jesus tells them, I'm going to suffer and die and rise from the dead. In chapter 9, chapter twice, in chapter 18 once, in chapter 21, he tells his disciples, I will suffer, I will die, I will rise again. And Luke tells us that they did not understand him. And so the religious leaders read the scriptures and missed Jesus The disciples heard Jesus say the Old Testament was about him and that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise, and they missed it. And if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. We can read the Bible and read the Old Testament in such a way that we miss Jesus. And the Old Testament in particular can seem like a daunting or intimidating portion of Scripture. If we read it carefully, if you've read carefully through the Old Testament, there there are some things in there that uh, are unique to say the least. Uh, Leslie Poles Hartley in in the opening lines of her novel The Go-Between said, the past is a foreign country, they do things differently there. And, And many times we read the Old Testament and we look to the past biblical history in the Old Testament, we think, man, it's a foreign country, and they do things differently there. Uh, Dr. Al Mohler, president of Southern Seminary, described some of the events in the Old Testament this way. I love the way that he describes it. He says, arcs and animals in a menagerie afloat, dead animals and hewn bullocks, rams and thickets, slavery in Egypt, burning bushes, staffs, staffs that turn into snakes, bronze serpents, man in the morning, pillar of fire and columns of smoke, convoluted history of conquests of kings, intrigue, adultery, murder, incest, a preoccupation with bodily fluids, bears who eat boys, boys who kill giants, prophets who taunt idolaters, prophets who throw fits, prophets who sit by gates and weep, poetry that reads like praise, poetry that reads like existentialist philosophy, Persian writing on the walls, foreign kings that roam like wild beasts, a prostitute who hides spies, spies who lose heart, women who summon courage, donkeys that talk, a strong man that commits suicide, stuttering leaders, naked patriarchs, majestic praise, predictive prophecy, lamentation, law, statutes and ordinances in all its majestic glory. And you hear that description and and you think, man, How does that connect to Jesus? Were those things really related to the Messiah? And Jesus would say, yes. And so the religious leaders miss Jesus in the scriptures. The disciples miss Jesus in the scriptures. We can miss Jesus in the scriptures. But Luke 24, 44 through 49 serves as a corrective to our spiritual myopathy. It helps us to see Jesus clearly in scripture. And so Jesus says three things here that I think are important for us to to grab onto as we think about seeing Christ in all of scripture. The first thing that he demonstrates clearly is that Jesus is the central figure of the Old Testament. So we as Christians can look and should look for Jesus in the Old Testament. So that's the first thing. We should look for Jesus in the Old Testament. Look at verse 44. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
And so, again, Jesus points to the fact that he's already told them this. He said, these are the things that I told you while I was with you. And again, four times in Luke's gospel, Jesus has told the disciples, and yet Luke also tells us in two of those passages that the disciples did not understand these things. And so they hear, but they don't really comprehend. Maybe they hear, but they're not really listening. I know, I know guys in particular can be bad about this. We have... We have this problem called selective hearing. If my wife was here, she would give a hearty amen to this. Where if she asked me to help change one of the kids' diapers or to clean the dishes, I have a tough time hearing her. There's so much stuff going on, I'm just not really tuned in. But if she tells me that dinner's ready or the game's on, man, my hearing increases instantly. And so I think the disciples maybe have a little bit of this selective hearing. They hear the things about Jesus and the things that he teaches that they want to hear, and then sometimes they just can't put together the pieces of the things that they don't want to hear from him. And so they hear him say that the Messiah will suffer and die and rise, but they, they don't want to believe those things. They don't understand those things. They don't see how Jesus can be the Messiah if he suffers and dies. And yet here, Jesus says, I, I told you that this was going to happen, and it was necessary for this to happen because these things, he says, were written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, and they, they must be fulfilled. In the portion uh, that was read during the scripture reading, Jesus says to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, it was necessary for these things to happen. So the scriptures predicted a Messiah who would suffer and rise. And so because God's word is true, the Messiah necessarily was going to do those things the Old Testament said he was going to do. And so the Old Testament points to Jesus, and Jesus says that all of the Old Testament points to him. The, the description that he gives of the Old Testament is not accidental. He says, these are the things that I spoke to you while still with you. I've already told you this, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So he divides the Old Testament up into to three divisions, the law of Moses, the prophets, and then the Psalms, the book of Psalms, which includes Psalms, but not just Psalms, the, the wisdom literature. So he's pointing to all three major divisions of the Old Testament and say, those pointed to me. I fulfilled all the things that were written about me in those divisions of the Old Testament. Now, there are two different ways to understand this. Some understand this as saying that Jesus... Uh, selected kind of cherry-picked passages from each major division and said, this passage is about me, this one's about me, this one's about me. Then he moved on to the next section, this one's about me, this one's about me, this one's about me. And so there, there's, this, there's this position that says that, that Jesus is picking passages, identifying those as being fulfilled in him. The other position says, actually, Jesus uses this threefold division to prove that the, the scriptures in their entirety, in their totality, point to me. And so I would say that at the very least, Jesus is saying that there are passages in all the major divisions of the Old Testament that point to him. Personally, I believe Jesus is saying that every part of the Old Testament is connected to him and cannot be understood apart from him. And so at the very least, Jesus is saying, hey, all of the major divisions of the Old Testament are about me. What you see in this, two things I, I, I just want to draw your attention to. What you see in this, first of all, is you see Jesus' value and appreciation of the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament. So Jesus values the Old Testament. If you, if you look in, in Luke's gospel in particular, Jesus enters into his public ministry by going in 
opening up the scroll of Isaiah, reading the scroll of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sitting down and then saying, today this is being fulfilled in your ears. And so Jesus begins his ministry by reading the Old Testament and saying, this, this passage in Isaiah 61, this is about me. So Jesus identifies himself as the one to whom Isaiah 61 refers. Then at the back end of Jesus' ministry, so Luke 4 at the beginning, Luke 24 at the back end, Jesus with his disciples on the road to Emmaus says, listen, the law and the prophets point to me. Luke 24, 44, with all of his disciples, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, they point to me. So he bookends his ministry beginning and end with the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus valued the Old Testament. He rooted his identity and his mission in the Old Testament scriptures. What this means for us is that we must, we must not devalue the Old Testament. The Old Testament is just as much Christian scripture as the New Testament. And so anyone who devalues the Old Testament is taking a position in opposition of Jesus. Here's Jesus pointing to the Old Testament saying, these things were written about me. I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the attack on the New Testament, the direct attack or the outright neglect of the Old Testament is not something that's new. Historically, people who have professed to be Christians in some circles have struggled to affirm or believe or, or, or practice or preach the Old Testament. Think of Marcion, a famous heretic who rejected the Old Testament. Even in more recent times, I think of Andy Stanley saying we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. And even before that, three years ago, I heard him, roughly three, four years ago, I heard him say in a sermon that, and he was talking about the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, but the Bible Tells Me So. He said we don't need to ground our understanding of Jesus in the Old Testament scriptures. We don't need the scriptures to know that Jesus loves us. And he made this statement where he said that the disciples knew that Jesus loved them before they ever read the Bible. And I remember hearing that in the sermon and thinking, that, that's, that's actually not true. And Jesus pointed to the Old Testament at the very beginning of his ministry and said, if you want to see who I am and why I'm important, you have to look to the Old Testament. So their very understanding of Jesus as the Messiah was rooted in the Old Testament. And so we have to be aware of any preacher or any theologian, any group of people who would tend to put down or distance, him, distance themselves from the Old Testament. Now, in a local church context, we may not theologically downplay the Old Testament, but practically we neglect it. We, we, find, we find the Old Testament daunting and strange, and so when we read our Bible, sometimes we shy away from the Old Testament. And so I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to value the Old Testament, to read the Old Testament. Let's be whole Bible Christians who love not just the New Testament and the Gospels and the Epistles, but we love the Old Testament and the Law and the Prophets and the Book of Psalms and the Wisdom Literature. Let's value Scripture. Jesus valued the Old Testament and when we value the Old Testament, we're following in Christ's footsteps. So Jesus values the Old Testament. He grounds his identity and his mission in the Old Testament. And he says, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms point to me. And so as we read through the Old Testament, it's important that we see Jesus in 
the law. I mean, you start in Genesis 1, and God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he speaks everything into existence. And, and then we read in the New Testament in John 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John tells us that apart from the Word, nothing was made that was made. So there's nothing that's made apart from the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word. He was there in the beginning. Nothing was made apart from Him. So I can't read Genesis 1 devoid of Jesus. Right? I, I read Genesis 2 and, and God giving man dominion over creation and then making Eve and bringing him to Adam and and, and I can't read that without thinking about Jesus as the son of man in the New Testament exercising dominion over creation calming storms curing diseases casting out demons Jesus is the one who exercises authority can't read Genesis 3 without looking at verse 15 the seed of woman who crushes the head of the serpent and on and on it goes through the Old Testament Jesus is the descendant of Abraham who blesses all the nations. He's the ram caught in the thicket in Genesis chapter 22. He's the line of the tribe of Judah. He's the Passover lamb that's slain. He's the, the goat that's sacrificed on the day of atonement. He's a scapegoat who's led into the wilderness. On and on. He's a prophet who's greater than Moses. Jesus is all through the law. We can't look at the law and miss Jesus. He's the one who perfectly fulfilled the law. The law is about Jesus. The prophets talk about Jesus. You read in the prophets, Jesus is the commander of the army of the Lord. He's the perfect judge, the true deliverer. He's the kinsman redeemer. He's David's greater son. He's the suffering servant, the Lord's Lord's anointed, the one who gives us a new heart. Jesus Christ is all through the prophets. We we read the book of Psalms. He's he's the blessed man in Psalm 1. He's the Lord's anointed in Psalm 2. He's a righteous sufferer in Psalm 22. We, we can't read the wisdom literature in, 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 in Job. He's the mediator. He's the go-between. He's the wisdom of God. We cannot read any portion of Scripture without seeing Jesus. The Bible, from start to finish, is a Christian book, and Jesus is the hero. He's at the center. And so my desire this morning is for you to leave here with, with a renewed commitment to love all of Scripture particularly the Old Testament, and to read it in a Christian way. So, well, how do we do that? How do we read Scripture in a Christian way? Well, it says in verse 45, Jesus says, everything that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and Psalms, must be fulfilled. Then, verse 45, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. I cannot tell you, I cannot express to you how much I wish I could have been here, been there to hear this conversation. I would have loved to hear Jesus open their minds to understand the scripture. Earlier in in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, it says that he interpreted the scriptures from the law law and the prophets. And so he opens up their mind, which shows us that we can't understand scripture apart from Christ. He opens their minds, and, and really apart from a divine work of God, none of us can see or understand the scriptures. Natural man can understand the things of God. And so Jesus opens up their mind. I can't imagine that conversation, but I know this. From that point forward, you read the rest of the sermons in the New Testament and the rest of the books in the New Testament, and the disciples could not read the Old Testament and not see Jesus. From that point forward, 
Every passage was pointing to the glory of God. Every passage was full of Christ's beauty and glory. I mean, you, you look at the sermons in the book of Acts. Peter preaches the, the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. The church is birthed out of this sermon. 3,000 people are saved. And what is, what is Peter preaching? He's preaching the Old Testament. He quotes Joel 2. He quotes Psalm 16. He quotes Psalm 110. And he quotes those passages to say, Jesus is the one who suffered, who rose, and who poured out his spirit. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. And so he opens up their eyes to see and understand the scriptures. Peter, in Acts 2, does the same thing. Philip, Ethiopian eunuch, Isaiah 53 does the same thing. Paul, Acts 17, it says it, it was Paul's custom to go into the, to the synagogues and reason from the scriptures that Jesus was a Messiah and he must suffer and die. From that point forward, the disciples looked at the Old Testament from a thoroughly Christian perspective. And so it's my desire for us as a people of God to see all of scripture and to see Jesus in all of scripture. All scripture is Christian scripture and Jesus in all of scripture. So I want to give you a couple, couple suggestions to help you do that. Um, I don't know if you've ever lost something or have someone that you know that you love that loses things. Uh, there's a, a particular member of my family who is prone to lose things. Uh, she's not here this morning. Uh, I won't tell you her name, but it rhymes with Timberly. Uh, so she is so bad about losing things. And, and the funny thing is, I, I have, I don't know if she's just not good at looking or I am good at looking, but I find the things that she can't see so, so she'll say, I've lost my keys. Well, you know, have you looked in your diaper bag? She's like, yes, I already looked in my diaper bag. Can you please help me look for them? So I'll go to her diaper bag, and I'll look in the diaper bag, and she, she's mad. I just told you I looked in the diaper bag. Why are you looking in the diaper bag? And then I pull out the keys that are in the diaper bag, right? And, and so uh, she gets frustrated. But here, here's, here's the interesting thing. The keys were there the whole time. She just missed them. And, and sometimes... We read the Bible, and we don't see Jesus, and it's not until later on that somebody says, hey, have you seen this? Have you considered this? And all of a sudden, Jesus just jumps out, and it's not that he wasn't there before. It was that we missed him. We didn't see him. And so a couple ways that we can see Jesus in the Old Testament. The first way is just to look in the text. There are some texts where, where they, are, I mean, they are just overtly, blatantly screaming out Jesus to us. They're very clearly messianic. And so uh, when Isaiah, for example, talks about a virgin conceiving, giving birth to a son in his name being Emmanuel, God with us, I, we read that, and, and that's Jesus. He is born of a virgin. He is God with us. We read that, and it's very, very clearly uh, Christian. We read Isaiah 53, this, this suffering servant who suffers not for his own sin, but for the sins of others, the Lord lays on him the iniquity of us all. He's, he's bruised and he's crushed, not for his own sins or iniquities, but for ours. It's clearly in Jesus. So there are certain passages that, that, are, that are just overtly messianic. But there are also many passages that aren't. You say, okay, Jared, I, I get that. Those passages are obvious, they're clear, I see them, I know. What about the passages where Jesus is not right there on the surface? So we look for Jesus in, in, in the text. We look for Jesus in types. There are divinely ordained figures, either persons, events, or institutions in the Old Testament that are meant to, to help us clearly see and understand and appreciate the work of Jesus Christ. And so these, the, these types of Christ 
are grounded in Old Testament history. There's a correspondence between the institution event or person in the Old Testament and Jesus in his redemptive work in the New Testament. But there's not just a correspondence. There, there, there's an escalation, an increasing uh, specificity where Christ actually completes that Old Testament type. And the New Testament uses, uh, uses types and shows us types in the Old Testament. The man in the wilderness is a type of Christ. Christ in John 6, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. That, that provision from God from heaven in the form of bread corresponds to Christ who is the bread of life. Uh, the water in the desert, right? The water comes from the rock. God provides water. Jesus tells the woman at the well, I can give you a water that will quench your thirst. You'll never thirst again. And so we look at these, old, the Melchizedek is a type of Christ. The son of David, that, that idea of David's greater son is a type of Christ. So we see these types in the Old Testament. In the nation of Israel, Jesus is the true Israel, Matthew 2. Uh, out of Egypt, I've called my son. Well, in the Old Testament, God calls Israel out of Egypt. In the New Testament, God calls Jesus out of, out of Egypt. But Jesus is the true Israel who goes into the wilderness, is tempted, but conquers temptation and doesn't give in. So we see these types in the Old Testament the, the Passover. So the Passover lamb is crucified. Paul says in Corinthians that Christ is our Passover lamb who's crucified for us. So these things in the Old Testament correspond to Jesus. They find their fulfillment in him. And so we can look to major people, major events, and major institutions in the Old Testament and see how ultimately they lead us to Jesus. And so we look in the text. He's there screaming at us. We see in types, Christ is a fulfillment. And if we don't see Christ in the text and we don't see him in a type, if we'll step back and look at the context specifically the redemptive historical context, we step back and look at the story of Scripture as a whole, God's work of redeeming fallen man. In those passages, we'll see the character of God. We'll learn about the one who's merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. We'll learn about this God who redeems sinful man. Or we'll learn about man who's rebelled and disobeyed God, man with a hard and stubborn and wicked heart and a, and a, and a depraved mind. We'll learn about we'll learn about the depravity of man and man's need for grace and salvation. And so if we step back and look at the redemptive historical context, any passage is going to teach us about the God who saves and the people who need redemption. And so it's possible for us to read the Bible in a Christian way, and I would say that it's necessary for us to read the Bible in a genuinely Christ-centered way if we are to understand it. Verse 45 says Jesus opens their minds to understand the Scriptures. And so I would encourage you to read the Bible, read your New Testament, read your Old Testament, but value the Scriptures, love the Scriptures, obey the Scriptures. Every single word matters, and all of it is pointing to Christ. So we read the Old Testament, and we look for Jesus in the Scriptures. But then Jesus goes on to say in verse 46 what the Scriptures said about him, and he gives us the the content of the scriptures. What is the Old Testament driving to? And he says this in verse 46. He also said to them, this is what is written. I'm going to tell you what the Old Testament actually says. This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so we're told to look for Jesus in the Old Testament, because all of it points to him. We're also told, told to see the gospel in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament portrays a Messiah who suffers, who rises, and who forgives sins. 
And I think it's important for us to, 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 to define the content of the gospel. So, sometimes people use the word gospel as kind of a catch-all term. It's like a junk drawer. Everything just gets slid into it. Probably everybody in here, if you're honest, you have a junk drawer. Anybody have a junk drawer in their house? Be honest. No, all of you are super organized, and, and every single drawer in your house is nice and clean. We have a junk drawer, you know, uh, and, and you put everything in there. You've got batteries, duct tape, an old Shania Twain CD. Like, everything is jam-packed in there. I don't have a Shania Twain CD of mine. But everything is just shoved in there. It's, it's kind of a catch-on. If, if we're not careful, we can talk about the gospel, and everything gets slid in there. And we talk about the gospel, and, and we're talking about uh, um, marriage as the gospel, ethnic diversity as the gospel, serving and loving others as the gospel, and everything gets slid in that box. So we need to be, be clear when we talk about the gospel. The gospel has implications for all of those things. The gospel has implications for our, for our marriage, and our marriage is meant to reflect the gospel. The gospel has implications for ethnic diversity. God's design, God's plan is to create a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so Absolutely, the gospel has implications on ethnic diversity. The gospel has implications on ministry and service and missions. If we love Christ, we'll love others and obey his commands and serve them. But those things in and of themselves are not the gospel. So here Jesus talks about the suffering and resurrection and forgiveness of sins. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 uses a, a, a similar, uh, similar framework to define the gospel, that Christ suffered for our sins and was buried and rose the third day according to the scriptures. And so we need to be clear when we talk about the gospel, we need to clearly define what we mean. And so Jesus says, the Old Testament promised a Messiah who would suffer, who would die, who would rise, and who would grant forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is that Messiah. So it's necessary for these things to happen because the Old Testament scriptures say that the Messiah will do this. And again, I said this earlier, Jesus does these things because he is the Messiah that the Old Testament pointed towards. He's the one who suffers. Christ suffered for sin. So this, is what, this is what was written, the Messiah should suffer and again, the Old Testament, this is what was written. The Messiah would suffer. I've already mentioned Isaiah 53. We all like sheep have, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. The Lord has laid on him, this suffering servant, the iniquity of us all. By his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. And Peter picks up on that in First Peter. It says, so the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. By his stripes, by his wounds, we're healed. Psalm 22, the righteous suffer. Jesus quotes Psalm 22. He identifies with the righteous suffer in Psalm 22. And so the Old Testament promised a suffering Messiah. And the disciples failed to see this, and Jesus is quick to say, listen, this was written in the scriptures. This was prophesied long ago. I'm simply fulfilling the mission that my Father has given me to fulfill. And so there is a resurrection. There is, earlier he talks about suffering and glory. There is coming glory. We'll stand before Christ and we'll see him face to face and we'll be made like him. There is coming a day when there will be no more sin, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. That day is coming, coming but suffering 
appreciate his glory. It did for Christ. It does for believers. And so it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer. The disciples weren't wrong to expect a glorious Messiah, but they were wrong to expect the Messiah to establish his kingdom and reign in glory apart from suffering. Because the Old Testament scripture said the Messiah would suffer, and Jesus suffers for sin. And so when Jesus suffers for sin, he climactically fulfills all the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, the author of Hebrews tells us, but Christ sheds his blood as the perfect sacrifice. Whereas the blood of bulls and goats, blood of bulls and goats could not permanently take away sin, Christ has covered our sin by dying in our place and coming back to life. But Christ doesn't simply suffer and die for sin. He raises from the dead. He rose from the dead the third day. And so not only did the Old Testament talk about a Messiah who would suffer, the Old Testament talks about a Messiah who rises from the dead. And again, Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches day of Pentecost, and he quotes from Psalm 16, where David says, the, the Lord won't allow my flesh to see corruption. And then I like the way, way Peter says, he, he says, I'm going to speak candidly or bluntly or directly to you men. David died and is buried. I mean, it's right to the point. So David wrote this. David died and is buried. He says, David, being a prophet, wasn't writing about himself, but was writing about the Messiah who was to come. And so David, as a prophet, looks to the future and knows his son, Jesus, who's a descendant of David. We can trace his line back to David. He is the line of the tribe of Judah. Jesus the descendant of David is a one who God will not allow him or his body to see corruption, but God raises him on the third day. Then he quotes Psalm 110 where Jesus ascends. So not only does, does Jesus raise from the dead, but he ascends to the right hand of God where he ever lives to make intercession, Hebrew says. So Christ rises and ascends. Jesus, the Messiah, doesn't stay dead. He's the Messiah who rises from the dead and ascends to the heavens. And then he says that it's necessary that repentance for the forgiveness of sins be preached to all the nations starting in Jerusalem. And so Jesus is the Messiah who suffers. He's the Messiah who arises. And he's the Messiah who must be preached to the nations. Repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And so the, the gospels are grounded in the Old Testament. And, and the gospel going to the nations is grounded in the Old Testament. Isaiah says in Isaiah 42, uh, 1, Isaiah 49, 6, that the Jews are supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations. And so, you t I mean, even at the very beginning, Genesis 12, he tells Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you, I'll curse those that curse you, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. From the very beginning, God's design for his people was to be a light to the nation so they could know the glory of God. And so here Jesus says, it was necessary for me to suffer and to rise and to be preached, not just to the Jews, but to the nations because the gospel is a message for the nations. The gospel must go to the nations. And he grounds all of these things in the Old Testament. So the gospel is rooted in the Old Testament. And so as I get ready to, to, to move to, to my last point here, I want you to understand, I want you to see the thread of the gospel through all of Scripture. That, 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 that Jesus 
Death, burial, and resurrection are not just New Testament realities. They're Old Testament truths that were pictured, promised, and prophesied in the Old Testament. Christ is the Messiah. He fulfilled the Old Testament. He suffered for our sins. He rose from the dead. He forgives sin. Christ is the Messiah. See the thread of the gospel throughout all of Scripture. If you're not a believer, repent and believe the gospel. Forgiveness of sins is available but the gospel demands a response. The gospel demands repentance and faith. And then if you're a Christian, see the gospel in the Old Testament and New Testament and cherish the gospel, love the gospel, value the gospel. And the gospel reminds us that every one of us are sinners and that apart from Christ, nothing good dwells in us. There's nothing good inside of me apart from Christ. I don't have a desire to obey his commands. I don't have the power and the ability to obey his commands. I desperately need Jesus. So the gospel is not a, a strictly justification thing. The gospel is a sanctification thing. That I need the gospel. I need to preach the gospel on myself every day if I'm to love God and to obey his commands. I need Christ. And then the last thing. So We're told to to look for Jesus in the Old Testament, to see the gospel in the Old Testament. Then we're told to preach the gospel to the nation. He says this in, in verse 48. He says, you are witnesses of these things. So Jesus says, all the Old Testament is about me, law, prophets, psalms. Here's what it says. The Messiah would suffer, rise, and be preached. And then he turns the corner and says, You're the ones who are actually going to take this message to the ends of the earth. You're witnesses of these things. You have seen, so the Old Testament promised this suffering Messiah and this resurrected Messiah. You're witnesses. You've seen the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, and now your responsibility is to bear witness of me. And he he promises them the Spirit. He says, wait for the promise of the Father. I'm sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. And so here, this is Luke's great commission. He's giving the disciples a commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So they're receiving their commission. And similar to, to, to Matthew's commission in, in Matthew 28, the great commission, there, there's, there's a promise of the Spirit. All authority is given to me, and I'll be with you to the ends of the earth. There's this promise of presence and power and authority in Matthew's gospel. Here, we're told that the Spirit is going to be sent, so there's the, the same promise of power and in Matthew's gospel he says you'll be uh, he says uh, make disciples of all nations baptize in the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost teach them all the things uh, that I've commanded you and lo I am with you always even to the ends of the earth so Matthew and Luke both promise empowerment for this task and they both promise that the gospel is to be taken to the ends of the earth and so here the, the three things here he says this is what you're, what you're supposed to preach, this is where you're supposed to preach, and this is how you're supposed to preach. First of all, he says, preach the gospel. You're witnesses of these things. Well, what things? The suffering and resurrected Messiah. So they're to, to bear witness, to testify of this suffering and resurrected Messiah who forgives sins. That's the content of their message. Jesus doesn't say, all right, guys, go, 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 go talk to people about whatever you want to talk about. He says, no, you're witnesses of these things, so they're given the gospel message. Christians, preachers, 
pastors are given the message. We don't create it. We don't contrive it. The message of, of, a, of, a, of a crucified Savior and a resurrected Lord is not a human invention. It's a, it's a, it's a divinely given message. And so we're called to preach this message. You're witnesses of these things. If you're here, you're called to ministry, you're going into ministry, preach the gospel. Make the same commitment Paul does. I made up my mind to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. Him we proclaim, warning and admonishing every, teaching and admonishing every man. Preach Christ. If you're a Christian, share the gospel. Talk about Jesus. Tell your friends, tell your family members, tell your coworkers about this Jew from Nazareth who died on a cross and rose from the dead to forgive sins. Share the gospel. We're given the message, teach the gospel. We're told where to take that message to the ends of the earth. He says, you start in Jerusalem, but the destination is now the ends of the earth. Luke 24 kind of serves as a pivot. Luke wrote Luke and Acts. Um, so Acts is the sequel to Luke, if you will. So in Luke, everything is leading to Jerusalem. Right? He, Christ has fixed his face to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer and he's going to die Jerusalem is a destination in Luke's gospel. But here, in this passage, there's a pivot, there's a shift. Jerusalem shifts from being the destination to the origin. You are going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. But when you receive power, you're going to the ends of the earth. So they're told to take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so you and I have this responsibility to take the message of the gospel to people who desperately need Jesus. That's their greatest need, is Christ. There, there are roughly two billion people who've never even heard the name Jesus. N not that don't believe in Jesus, they've never even heard the name of Jesus. And so as Christians, we should feel the weight of that, we should feel responsibility, we should have a compelling desire to take the message of Jesus Christ to the nations. We should pray, pray for Pray for missionaries overseas. Pray for sinners to be converted. Pray for the, met, for the name of Jesus to be known around the world. We should give. If you're financially able, give to support missionaries. Give to missions agencies. Use your money to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You should consider going. And I think you should consider going long term. Not just short term. You should consider going long term. Is God calling you? to uproot your family, sell your house, and move to the ends of the earth so that the name of Jesus may be made known. Ask yourself, why not? Short-term mission trips where you can go and support missionaries who are already on the ground, immersed in the culture, sharing the gospel, we should have a desire to make the name of Jesus known. He gives these disciples that command, that commission, and we should feel the responsibility. But also feel the the, let me just say we should feel the privilege as well. Not just the weight of this, but the privilege. That we have the privilege of sharing the message of eternal life. Life-giving joy, forgiveness of sins, eternal life to people who are in darkness and have no hope. And so we're told to preach the gospel. We're told to preach it to the nations. And how are we to preach it? In the power of the Spirit. How crushing would it have been for Jesus to say, I want you to be my witnesses I want you to go to the ends of the earth and then not give them the promise of the Spirit. Hey, you guys are on your own. Good luck. Hope this turns out well. 
But, but he doesn't do that. He says, I'm sending you the promise of the Father. Wait in Jerusalem until you're empowered from on high. There's this promise of empowerment, enablement. God will embolden the disciples to do what they could never do on their own. And, of course, Peter is the prime example of this. He's denying Christ prior to the crucifixion. And on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, the Spirit has descended. Peter stands up with boldness. He preaches Christ. Men of Israel, you with lawless hands have taken and crucified Christ, the Lord of glory. What happened? The Spirit's been poured out. The disciples have power. And as Christians, God has given us his spirit. We're indwelled by the spirit of God. We're given power that we don't have in our own flesh and our own abilities. And through the power of the spirit, we can with boldness and confidence share the gospel with others. And so I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to, to, to be people who are committed to sharing the gospel, to telling other people about Christ, tell unbelievers about Christ, engage in missions, give your money, pray, go, do all that you can to make the name of Jesus Christ known. We have a responsibility to preach the gospel. And so in Luke 24, Jesus tells his disciples, the Old Testament is about me. Specifically, it's about my death, burial, and resurrection. The, the Bible is about Jesus. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus is the center of scripture. He's at the center of his church. But the question is, is he at the center of your life? That's the question I want to leave you with. Talk about Jesus at the center of the Bible. Jesus at the center of his church. But is he the center of your life? Do you read his word? Do you read the scriptures in order to see him and to love him and to follow him? Is he at the center of your life? Is he at the center of the way you read the Bible? Is he at the center of your day? That every day you're acknowledging your need for the gospel? The gospel, uh, I said this earlier, is not, not the basics of Christianity and we outgrow. We, don't, we never outgrow the gospel. We just grow deeper in the gospel every day. We need to be reminded that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Is Christ at the center of your day? Are you daily relying on him? And are you making him known? Is Jesus at the center of your conversations? Do you talk about Christ? Do you love Christ? Do you share Christ with those who desperately need to know him? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for Jesus doing what we could never do. If salvation were dependent on us, we would be absolutely without hope. No amount of human effort or good works could earn our forgiveness, but God, you have freely given us what we could never earn on our own. By grace, through faith, in Christ, and we are incredibly grateful. If there's someone here this morning, I don't want to assume everyone here is a believer, if there's someone who doesn't know Christ, I pray that this morning your spirit would work and convict and draw and save. I pray that your spirit would do what only he can do. And then for the believers that are here, I pray they would center their life around Christ. That every day they would, they would dive into your word desiring to see Christ. That every day they would preach the gospel to themselves, remind themselves of their need for Christ and his grace and his power. And I pray they would have the boldness on a, on a daily basis to tell other people about Christ, to talk about Christ, to talk about the gospel and what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. We love you. We're grateful people. We thank you for Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen.